So uh, we're opening um, applications tomorrow for a new women's pastor here at Eastside Christian Church. Um, only qualification, you've had to have read the Bible at some point in your life. Hey, thanks for being here. I'll tell you what, I don't know about y'all, uh, but they sang that last song, and that was only the third time they'd ever done it. Man, that was good, wasn't it? Huh? Excellent job, excellent job. Great song. So we kind of let the cat out of the bag five weeks from now. NCAA March Madness Tournament begins. Last year, 17 million people watched the last game. That's the entire population of New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, and Bullock County, Kentucky. We needed a few more numbers in there uh, to make it come up. One out of four adults in America, one out of four claim that college basketball, that they love it and they are a fan of it. We can't get one out of four people to agree on anything in this country. That number just keeps rising. The older a person gets until 65. This is fascinating to me. You hit 65 and the interest in college basketball starts going down. That's because old people die of heart attacks when they throw things at the TV when they're mad. There's less of them. That's why. This area where you and I live, southern Indiana, metro Louisville, it is consistently ranking as the highest television market in the nation for college basketball. So over the next five weeks, over the next five weeks, many of us are going to be hanging on to hope. We're going to be holding on to hope. We're going to be praying that our team is still alive on that weekend in April when the final four teams fight it out. So, if you're a boilermaker, it's looking good. Any boilermakers in the room? All right. Uh, Purdue, man, you got it. Just throw the ball to that seven-foot-four monster, and you're, you're probably going to be okay. Ah, you people, you got some hope. You got some hope. You got some hope. I mean, Coach Woodson is the man. Jackson Davis, man, he's the real deal. The Cats fans... Okay, don't fire cow yet. Don't fire him, man. You got Oscar. You got Oscar. So keep your couches. Keep them ready to burn, okay? Because y'all know you. But if I were you, I'd get, uh, go ahead and get an appointment with your therapist for when you lose, okay? Uh, Cards fans, baseball season right around the corner, okay? (laughs) Uh, One of our church members, one of my buddies saw me out in a the comments there a couple weeks ago, and he goes, hey, man, I know, you're why, I know why you're doing that, that series on emotionally drained. I know why you're doing that. He goes, I know why you're doing that. You're just venting your feelings as a Cardinal fan. Uh, shame, anxiety, depression, anger, and grief. Man, that's spot on, isn't it, huh? Well, we thought we would have some fun with this, okay? We thought, let's take advantage of that, and let's just have some fun with this whole basketball thing that we get obsessed with in the coming weeks. And so before uh, the tournament actually starts, we wanted to kind of preface that and go through a teaching on uh, the series of the first four of the Ten Commandments. And we're calling it, as, uh, as we already saw in our bumper video, we're calling it uh, final four, or first four living in a final four world. And that title, first four living in a final four world, that has a purpose to it. There's a specific reason why we chose that, that title, and that is as God followers, as those of us in here who love God and follow him, those first four commandments, those first four, you're going to learn those, those are our heart and soul, man. Those are what drive us 
every day that we're alive. Those are our, those are our moral objectives in life, but they are the last thing that an ungodly world even thinks about. So for us, they're the first four, but for the world, they're the final four. And so we're going to look at those four commandments, and you'll know why here in a few minutes, and we're going to pick one each week, and we're just going to see what God does with it. Now, before we jump in uh, today with the first of the ten, I think it's important that we just kind of settle our understanding here, this is really important, that we get a general idea of some, some foundational concepts about the Ten Commandments. Everybody's heard of the Ten Commandments. We've all heard of that. But I think there are some things about them that are foundational, and these will be kind of a, a thread throughout every one of them that we look at. And I, I just think on this first week, we ought to just take a few minutes and, and talk about a few of these things. And I want you to, to kind of gather in on a couple of these foundational things. And, and here's one of them. I want you to see it in light of this. So let me put that up here. And I want you to understand that the commandments were given to God's people. And that's really important to see. And you're going to understand that as we jump in here. And you'll see that I've highlighted the word to because I want you to understand why that is important. They were given to God's people. And that happened about 3,500 years ago, and you all know the story, where God communicates it on the mountain to Moses, and Moses carries it down uh, to all the people who are in Israel like them. Now, since that 3,500 years, there have been nations and people groups all over the globe who have taken those commandments 3,500 years ago, and they've used them as the source, the foundation of their own their own nations and their own countries. The United States did that. We took those 10 commandments and we built a nation about that. If you went to the Supreme Court building today, you would find images and statues and writings all over it, some of them even hidden, that find their heartbeat in the 10 commandments. And so they're, they're this idea that, that throughout society, people have always went back there and said, you know, that'd make a great nation. If we follow that, there's going to be favor on our people. But God did not give the commandments to everybody. He didn't do that. He only gave them to his people, to the people who follow him. Those are the people who received the commandments. I want you to think about this. Right before God gave them to Moses, right before he did that, God met with Moses and he told him something before the commandments. And I want you to see what he said up here. So check out Exodus chapter 19. And God says this, and although the whole earth is mine, God says, man, it is all mine. Everybody belongs to me. But he said, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You, Moses, you, Israel, will be a holy nation. Now, if you're from Eastside, you know what holy means. Holy means different, separate, completely set apart from everybody else. And what God was saying is, Israel, followers of God, you're going to be different. 
You're going to stand out completely different from everybody on the whole earth. You're going to be totally markedly different. What's going to be different about you? And right at the end of that, God then tells Moses, here are the Ten Commandments. And what God is trying to establish at that point, what he's trying to make clear is that his people, his people will be markedly different. And so the commandments are sent to the people of God. They're not sent to everybody in the world. I I, I shared before that when my sons were growing up, when they hit the teenage years, when each one of them hit the teenage years, I, I took them on a trip, just me and them, and so individually, I did this three times with three of my boys, and they were just kind of getting near the puberty aspect of life and, and hitting a new world, and so we kind of got together, and them and their dad, we got together, and I shared with them what is called the core values of a Hastings man. And they're values that we put together as a family. And the idea was that if you're a male and your last name is Hastings in this house, these are the values that you will live with in your life. And so we have those 10, and my boys today still have those uh, in their offices and in their homes, and they are the standards of which we live our life. And so we try to do that. For, For example, one of them is this. He honors and obeys all levels of authority over him. That's one of our core values. Now, you take that value and say, that ought to apply to everybody. That ought to apply to every person in the world, that you obey the authority over your life. But they weren't written to everybody. They were written to four people, me and my three boys. And so we we lay that down. And, And so if the teacher says, read the chapter, you read the chapter. No argument, no belly aching, no excuses, no attitude. If the coach tells you to run a lap, you run a lap. If the boss tells you to come in one hour early, you crawl out of bed in time to get there. If your wife tells you to play nine holes instead of 18 because she wants you to take her to Hobby Lobby, well, there are exceptions to everything in the world. (laughs) Now, I want you to get this under your grill, okay? I want you to see this because this is really important. When God put these commandments together, they were specifically for his people. And that doesn't mean other people can't generate an understanding of that. It means that God is saying, these are yours so that you are seeing to be different. Now let me get up under your grill here for a second. You're here in a church building right now, and I'm gonna make the assumption that if you're in this room, you have at least an interest in being a God follower. If you didn't have any interest in that, then I really don't know why you're here. And so if you have an interest in being attached with God in your life, if that is a part of what you want in your world right now, listen, these are your moral guides. They are written to you. They're given to you. Now now watch the other thread that goes along with that. And that is this, that they are given for the whole world, and there's a big difference there. God gave them to us for the benefit of the whole world. And so why God took his people and said, here are 10 guidelines for your life, why did he do that and not give them to anybody else? Because everybody else stinks at it. And God needs somebody to be the example. 
He needs somebody to say, here's how the created order works and how we are to live. The Ten Commandments are given for the world. Now watch this, it'll rock you a little bit. I, I, know, I know our brains may be wiped out at the end of the day, but I want you to, to, to catch this and think about this. So, so when the Ten Commandments are given 3,500 years ago, they are estimating now from things we know, there's about one to two million Israelites at that time. Closer to two. So a couple million people are the nation of Israel now. And God says, okay, to you, to you, here's how we live. Now, if you took all of that 3,500 years ago and you just kind of went backwards in time about 600 years when Israel did not exist, there was a guy named Abraham. And Abraham was met by God and God showed up at Abraham and he said to Abraham, hey, I'm gonna start this thing through you. You're gonna start it. And so we got two million people here and we back up and it all started with Abraham. Started with one man. And God says, I'm gonna start it to you. And if you went back in those years and you looked in your Bible about that meeting between God and Abraham, that God says, I'm going to start this nation through you. Do you remember what he told Abraham on day one? Look at this. Look at this. He said, I will make you into a great nation, nation of Israel, and I will bless you. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham, we're going to build something through you, and it's going to be this great nation, and the whole world is going to be blessed by you. Now, you and I know that the ultimate reason for that is that Jesus would come through the lineage of Abraham and the Israelite people, and the death of Jesus then offers a blessing to all people on the world. But it's even more than that. God is saying to his people that I want to use you Please hear me. Please hear me. I want to use you to bless the world. That if you can live by these commandments, that you can say they are our, they are our, our driving morality, that's how we live, then that has a way of teaching the rest of the world about how God wants them to live and there's a favor in their life. See, gang, we teach that here at Eastside, man, that is our driving mantra. Jesus said we're the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. What's he mean by that? He means it ain't about coming in here. It ain't about coming in this room and just kind of doing your church thing. That ain't what it's about. It's about what you do when you walk out of here. Am I right? It's, it's about what happens in your life when you leave the training room here. And you go out and you begin to live the way that God has called us to live, and that has an effect on the people around you. So why do we even have these Ten Commandments? Why are they even there? Because God has put them together to say that these are for my people. These are written to them. And when you do those, when you live that way, that's not only good for your life, that is good for the whole world. And so because of that, we jump into a study on the Ten Commandments. We're going to look at the first four, and you're going to say, man, this is important stuff. This is how God has planned to bless this world by my obedience to the commands that he's given me. So with that in mind, let's jump into them. 
Now, you may have heard before that the Ten Commandments are generally understood to be broken down into two sections. The first four are about our relationship with God, and the next six about our relationship with each other with people. And so the first four to God, and the next six to each other to people. Now, you might, you might remember, the, remember that guy that came to Jesus and he said, hey, what's the greatest commandment? He was trying to trick him, but he asked him, what's the greatest commandment, okay? A little bit like what we did on, on the screen there. And you remember what Jesus said? He said, well, I won't tell you the greatest, but he goes, I'll tell you the top two. Love God, love people. Now, some people hear that and they think, okay, Jesus took 10 and he kind of got away with the 10. And he said, there's only two things matter now. Love God, love people. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus summarized them. He said, now love God, that's one, two, three, and four. And love people, that's five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And so they're generally divided into those two sections. And what we're going to do is we're going to kind of walk out of here over every week, over the next four weeks, and we'll have a good understanding of what those first four are. We're talking about a relationship with God. Now with that in mind, let's look at the first one, and you'll see about half the people knew what they were that we interviewed, and the half that are on our staff messed it up, okay? So here we go. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. Here it is. You shall have no other gods before me. That's it. Eight simple words that would change the trajectory of human society if God's people ever got serious about it. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, I was thinking about how I can explain what that means, and so I'll tell you a story I experienced, and it kind of gives you an idea of maybe a part of what the first commandment's about. Um, one of my sons uh, was telling me recently about how one of their children has become the master staller at bedtime, okay? So she's gotten really good when it's bedtime, stall, tactics, you know, stall, 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 stall. And so he was letting me know about that. And I'll tell you what, I just think that is the justice of God, okay? I just do. Uh, any problem you give your parents, your kids are going to give that problem to you, and your parents are going to laugh at it about you, okay? I just think that's a justice of God. Um, when my kids send me a picture of a of a $100 dance recital dress that their daughter is going to wear one time, okay? I just ship them back a picture of a $100 pair of Nike shoes that I bought them. And I say, what's the problem, okay? What's the problem? So it all comes back. So back to this bedtime stall tactic. Uh, this kid who, who uh, shared this picture with me, there was a time in which we'd put him to bed. And he's up in bed. Their bedroom's upstairs in our house. And I hear this, Dad! Can you bring me a drink of water? And I said, no, go to sleep. And a few minutes later, Dad, can you bring me a drink of water? No, go to sleep. And that went on for three or four more times. You know, Dad, bring me a drink of water. And finally, out of frustration, I said, if I hear one more thing out of you, I'm going to come up here and I'm going to smack you. I knew that was the end of it. And then I heard this, Dad. When you come up here to spank me, will you bring a drink of water with you? <laughs> that kid had one thing on his mind, a drink of water, okay? That is the single-mindedness that he had at that point. No matter what happens, a drink of water. That's the first commandment. Everything comes back to God. Nothing ever outranks him. 
Now, I want to put some teeth into that. And so here's what we're going to do for a few minutes, and this won't be long, okay? Somebody say amen. Won't be long. Okay, we saw who you were when you said that, all right? Now, I'm going to put some teeth in it. I'm going to grab a microscope, and I want to take those eight words, and I want to start showing you some things that are down in the eight words that God wanted us to know. Remember, they're written to you, to you. And so when we, when we dive into it, it starts to make a whole lot more sense what we're talking about. So let me put it up here, and let me ask you to take your spiritual microscope and look back at that, and I want you to play with that word gods a little bit. What's he mean by that? What does he mean by gods? Now, remember, these, these were given to people 3,500 years ago, and here's what we know. They'd been freed for three months they and their ancestors had been uh, prisoners, uh, slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And you know the story how God helps them escape. And they, they've been free for three months. And the Ten Commandments are given to them. And those people knew about gods because they came from Egypt. And Egypt had all kinds of gods with a little g. It was what was known as a polytheistic culture. Poly mean many, many, theistic meaning God, many gods. And so back in Egypt, they had all kinds of gods and all the Jews knew all about it. One of those gods was Horus, H-O-R-U-S, and he was understood as the god of war. And so before you go to war, man, you gotta call Horus to help you. Most people knew everything about God. It's, it's interesting that from this point on, historically in Israel, many of you know the story, they then begin to march into what was known as the promised land as Canaan, and Canaan was full of gods. One of the gods of Canaan was Baal. Now, what I'm going to tell you is absolute truth. Some of you are going to say, ain't no way. But it's the truth. If you've never heard it. Baal in Canaan was understood as the god of rain. And so if we needed rain for the crops... You called upon Baal to bring rain to the land. You know how you did it? It's honest truth. They had Baal temples all in their towns. And so the men of the community would go to the temples and the god Baal would generate rain when the men would have sexual relations with the Baal prostitutes at the temple. That's true. And some of you ladies right now are thinking, what pig of a man came up with that idea? And that's how it worked. And so here God comes to them, very first commandment. Remember, this is to my people, my people, because the world needs to learn it from you. Here's the first thing. No other gods, no Horus, no Baal. Now, here's where you and I are right now, okay? Because we're in 2023, we're in civilized America, we're living in the middle of the Bible Belt. And I don't know about y'all, but man, I can't remember a day that I even thought about Horus or Baal or any other deity. So I, I, I understand what he means by gods, and here's what we say. Whew, I don't have a problem with that. I, I, I don't have any of them goofy things in my life. So let's bring on the second commandment. Got the first one down. Not so fast, Charlie, okay? So take your, take your microscope and go back and let's get some more sinking of the teeth into the text with the word before. 
gods who are before. Now, I want, I want to be honest with you about this as a, as a student and what I found out about this. I'd heard it before. I really became well aware of it in the last couple of weeks while I'm studying this. We have not yet, as a godly society, people who love the Lord and love the Bible, we have not completely understood yet what that means. It is debatable among very scholarly, godly people have different views. There is a wealth of material that is written about that one word. What does that mean in the first commandment of God's being before? And there is no consistency on it. There's a lot of different views. And so I'll be sharing with John, we were talking the other day about it, and I said, you know, the reality is if they haven't figured it out for 3,500 years you think me and you going to figure it out in a few minutes? But let me show you a couple things about it. I want, you, I want to give you the idea of where it tends to lean. Some people think what, what is being said here when we are told no other gods before God, biblical scholars, many of them believe that what we're being told here is you can't have any gods in your life, little g. No little gods, only one big G, the God of the Bible. And that makes all the sense in the world, doesn't it, okay? Don't worship Baal. Uh, don't follow Horus. Don't have those goofy gods out there. That makes all the sense in the world. It makes complete sense to me when you think about it. And in fact, if you look at the Bible, you, you start following from, from the giving of the Ten Commandments. You go through the end of the book, uh, all the way to the book of Revelation, you find out increasingly the Bible says, they're not even gods at all. They don't even really exist. So it makes all the sense in the world what God was saying to them is, hey, here's how we're going to start this thing. You're not going to have any of those gods in your life. That's not what we do. And, and a lot of people think that's exactly what it means. Let me tell you this. It probably doesn't mean that. Those are people who think that it, it's talking about monotheism, so all the way back in Egypt and into Canaan, they were going to be in culture of polytheism, okay? Many gods and God saying, no, one God, monotheism, one God, none of that silly stuff. And a lot of people think that's what the commandment is, and the reality is that it probably isn't. That word is written in a way that does not indicate that, and it's not used that way in other places where that Hebrew word comes up. It's probably not saying, don't have gods in your life. It's not saying that. And so what, 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 does, what does it mean? And there's translations that try to get that idea across, that we're talking monotheism, okay? No gods in your life. I, I brought a few other translations so you see what I mean. Uh, you must not have any other god but me. So see, one god. And do not have other gods besides me, one god. Do not worship any god except me, one God. Even Bible translators think that maybe it meant monotheism, but that's probably not what it meant. And so what does it mean when you talk about that idea of what, what, what could it possibly mean? The view that most people adopt, it's the one that I think is consistent in Scripture, is we're not talking about monotheism. When he talks about before, he's talking about hierarchy. That not the point that there aren't gods in your life, the point is that if there are gods in your life, they never rank before him. That he, he alone has number one. 
He's in first place, that nobody ever is before him in your life. And so now that you see that we're really talking about this idea of hierarchy, it's easy for those of us in this room right now, civilized culture, okay, living in the middle of Bible Belt, in a church in the middle of the week, it's easy to say, I'm good to go, man. I, I don't know who Horace is. I don't know who Baal is. I know who any of those crazy things are. And so because I don't know them, I don't do anything with them, they are not before God. They don't outrank God in my life. And so I'm good to go. Let's go to the second commandment. Not so quick. Because watch this, watch this. A God, look at this, a God is anything or anyone that is valued before or ahead of the God of the Bible. And so maybe it is Horus and Baal, but the reality is it might be my job. It might be my bank account. It might be my hobbies, it might be my addictions. Jesus said, it might be your parents. Jesus said, it might be your spouse. And since we're uncomfortable hearing that, let's just go ahead and bite into the whole thing. What if my God were my education? What if my God were my health? What if my God were my child's extracurricular activities? What if my God was my firm devotion to my political party? What if my God was my opinion on sexuality? That a God is anything or anyone that leapfrogs the God of the Bible in your life. And you might be thinking, but Dave, you, you said a whole lot of good things there. Okay, a lot of things that are good. You said they might be gods. Listen, the issue has nothing to do with whether they're good or bad. That's not the issue. The issue is whether they are ever before God in your life. That's the first commandment. And so I think the Israelites had it easy. I mean, make sure Horus and Baal don't get between you and God. Shoot, anybody can do that. But you take an honest look at the gods in our life today, I mean, that's where it gets tough. And that's where it gets really difficult to think that, God, are you, are you asking maybe too much? The things that I love and are important to me and maybe be right, that they can't be before you? I remember one of my favorite stories of all time um, is about the guy that uh, broke his pinky. And uh, he thought, what am I going to do about this? And so he went to one of those after-hour medical clinics, and he walked in. He's got this, you know, they, what do you do with these? Like, he didn't know. And uh, the nurse met him there, and she was kind of a rough, tough, old broad. And she said, uh, walk down that hallway, third door on your right, go in there, take all your clothes off, doctor, be in a minute. And he goes, oh, no, I'm just... <laughs> Cut a figure here, you know. I don't need to do that. You know, take my clothes off. She said, down the hallway, third door on your right, take it. He said, ma'am, you, you know, it's just a finger, okay? No big deal. She said, you ain't listening to me. Down the hallway, third door on your right, take all your clothes off. And man, he goes down there, unbelievable. Opens the door, there's a guy sitting there in his birthday suit, stark naked. He said, man, a tough nurse, isn't it? He goes, you tell me, I'm just a UPS man. Now, so we've all met people that were just kind of, come on now, soften up a little bit. And, and it's easy to look at God that way. 
that God gets really tough on this first commandment. Remember, remember this. Don't forget this. God says, I want you holy. I want you different from anybody else. And let's just get, let's just get groovy with it here, gang, okay? And let's be real about it. God is asking you right here, you right here, to be different than your friends and different from your family and different from the people you go to school with and, and different from anybody you know who doesn't walk with God. God is asking you to be radically different. And what's different about that is that there are no gods in my life that go before him that outrank him. And now that we're starting to understand the nature of this really tough first commandment, then he gets even, in my opinion, tougher. So narrow your microscope and sink your teeth a little bit deeper. Let's go back to the text and look at this. You shall have no other gods before me. Now this one will rock you. The word me there in the English language is the Hebrew word face. That's what it is. Literally, here's the command. You shall have no other gods before my face. And what God is doing is he's using a word where he's talking about proximity to him. He's talking about being in relationship with him. He's talking about somebody who says, man, I want to walk with him. I want to be attached to the Father. I want a relationship with the one who created this world. And God says, I want a relationship with you too. But if you're going to be next to my face, if you're going to be that close, here's the requirement. Nobody and no thing gets between us, never, ever gets between us. Now, if you feel at all that maybe God is getting a little bit too, you know, crazy about this whole thing and a bit overreacting, take your microscope and, and jump in there one last time in these eight powerful words and look at this part of it. You shall have no other gods before me. And if you're like me, you've read that your whole life and you never gave an ounce of thought to that part of the commandment. That word have there is the biblical concept used in both Old and New Testament about a marriage. And God has always in his word, both old and new covenants, God has equated in metaphor form the relationship between him and his people in the idea of a marital bond. And the word have is one of those words used throughout the Old Testament that is often used in relation to marriage. And so when I married my wife Susan, it is biblically correct for us now to say, I have Susan, and Susan would say, I have him as my husband. And here's what God is saying, is that I want to be married to you. The Bible even talks about it in terms where Jesus is the groom and we are his bride. 
And so here's what God is saying about that. And this is the power of the first commandment. This is where it really gets strong with it. What God is saying is who accepts a marriage proposal on the basis that you will not be the priority in your spouse's life? Who does that? What would you say if somebody went up to you, hey, you want to get married? Between my job and my hobbies and my past girlfriends, we'll probably get to hang out a couple times a week. Who's going to say, I'm in? Nobody. There are not third wheels in successful marriages. Can somebody say amen to that? And if that's the case in human marital relationships, it is even more so in our relationship with God. And so here's the brunt of the first commandment. God says, I want to marry you. But I need to be number one. And I can't be number two, and I can't be number four, and I can't be number 10. And I can't be number one this month, and I'm number five next month. I need to be number one all the time. You mean even good things in my life? Yes, even good things in your life. And so it causes us to kind of wrap this up and say, how do I think I'm doing with that? How am I handling that? How's that going for me? Now, in this whole marital aspect, I, w- I was thinking about that, and um, I'm, I'm made me remember the old, uh, uh, remember the old preacher that was getting in a rut and just wasn't effective anymore, and, and so he went to a conference about how to preach, and they had a guy get up and say, the trick is to just start out with a sentence that just grabs everybody's attention. And he kind of gave all these preachers an example, and he said, let me, let me practice with you. And he said this, the best years of my life were spent in the arms of another man's wife. And all the preachers went, what is this cat talking about? And then he said, it was my mother. And then everybody, oh, that's funny, that's funny, funny. And that preacher said, I'm going to try that when I get back home. Now, he wasn't a very good joke teller. He messes them up, but he tried it his best. He showed up Sunday morning, and he said to him, from what? He goes, the best years of my life were spent in the arms of another man's wife. And the church went, oh, what? And then he said, and you know what? For the life of me, I can't remember who she was. <laughs> now, I want to be able to say that. I want to be able to say that. I want to be able to say that I can't remember who she was. I want to tell you I can't remember who she was, and here's why. Because there's only been one for me. And that's the point of the first commandment. That you can look at the God of the Bible, the one who rescued you through the cross of Jesus Christ, and you can say, there is only one for me. Father, I thank you um, that right out of the gate, when you built your people together, on the very first commandment of all that will affect everything else you say in the rest of your word, I thank you that you did not in any way try to shadow it. But Lord, I don't know there's a one of us in this room that are good at this thing all the time. 
And my prayer is that, is that whatever we've been thinking in these few minutes that we're going to walk out of this room, and you will bring to light in our mind and our heart through the Holy Spirit where we have been unfaithful to you. And I pray that it'll convict our heart and that we'll take this thing to the next level in our walk with you. Beyond just showing up in a room and worshiping, but living with you and everything in our life is outranked by our God. Help us to do that, and I pray that today in the name of Jesus. Amen.